The Resilient Cyber Podcast brings you conversations from diverse cybersecurity professionals, ranging from executives, subject matter experts, and aspiring entrants. Today's diverse threat landscape requires systems that can withstand a variety of cyber incidents, remaining trustworthy and secure. Thank you for joining us on the Resilient Cyber Podcast. My name is Chris Hughes, along with my co-host, Dr. Nikki Robinson. Hey, everybody. And today we're joined by Dr. Chase Cunningham, or Dr. Zero Trust, as he's known to some. Chase, thanks for being here. Thanks. Glad to be here. We had lots of doctors. Doctor, doctor, doctor. Yeah, I, 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 I got to step it up over here. I got to step it up. Um, on that note, though, for folks that aren't familiar with your background, you, do, you, do you mind telling us a bit about yourself, you know, how you got that moniker and, and whatnot? Yeah. So I'm, I'm retired Navy. Um, I was a cryptologic chief. Um, I'm, I, I openly admit I'm one of the, the most blessed individuals in cyber because I'm not supposed to be here. Like I joined the Navy as a diesel mechanic and just through Blind, stupid luck and really good people. I happened to wind up in the right place in the right career field. Uh, and after that, I retired, did a bunch of work for the federal government, NSA and other organizations uh, and stumbled my way again. Like, I, I'm not kidding when I say I'm like lucky and blessed. I worked my way over to Forrester through other connections. Uh, and then I got there and, and uh, once again, just the blind, stupid luck fell into zero trust and started running with that. And then since 2016-ish time frame, um, kind of have been, you know, just just beating the the drum of of ZT. Um, now I'm the chief strategy officer at Aracom Software. Yeah, it's, uh, I know you made that transition not too long ago, so that's good to hear. You know how 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 it came about. Um, it's also interesting because we talked to a lot of folks who mentioned that we need to change the way we approach cyber and you know letting people into the career field from diverse backgrounds. And it sounds like you line up with that very well. You know, coming from a different career field, basically. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. On the note of zero trust, you know, it's picking up uh, mm-hmm. steam. It's in like every every other headline I feel like I read or, or you know, IT cyber article. Uh, but for those that are not familiar with it, because it does seem to be like this nebulous concept or term that gets thrown around a lot. And uh, I don't know if everyone even knows what they're saying when they say it. Uh, if you had to summarize, you know, succinctly, like, what is a, a zero trust exactly? Well, I mean, being a, a, a kid from a, a farm in Texas, my, my, my simplest version would be don't trust nothing, right? And I mean, it's very simple. Like, don't trust things on the internet. Don't trust relationships inside of infrastructure. Don't trust that the vendor is giving you solutions that are already secure. All these things that we kind of take for granted in cyber, just don't trust them. And it's, yeah, I, I run into a lot of people too that will say, well, is this about not trusting my employees at a personal, like, no, trust your employees, go get beers and drinks and do whatever you do whenever we can get back to that. But in reality, I don't trust that on top of their, the technical side, I don't trust that people won't be the avenue for compromise. And the Dibber just came out this morning and the Dibber <clears throat> validates exactly that. Like once again, the number one and number two avenues for compromise for the last, I don't know, 30 years, uh, users and phishing. Like, so why is this even an argument anymore? Yeah, I, uh, I definitely want to jump in and say that, you know, Nikki has a, has her d- done her research in human factors. So I know you're speaking her language and I saw that, you know, social engineering and uh, the human factor was right up there in like the majority, I think it was 85% of incidents or breaches, for example, involved the human, human element. Yeah, yeah, which is why I think it's so interesting that we still we're still talking about it, right? And it's like <laughs> we know that <laughs> we know that phishing is an issue. We know that 
there are people behind the mouse that are clicking that button on potentially malicious links or emails or things. So it's like, we're still talking about it, but it seems like we're still kind of maturing that. But I think zero trust, at least as far as helping to make sure that the user has less things that they can click on is probably a good thing. All right. So uh, zero trust has been in the news quite a bit recently, especially like yesterday uh, with the um, with the executive order. So with uh, NIST even came out with their own guide uh, just last year, August 2020. So do you think this really is a new topic, something that we're just talking about now? Or do you think that this is kind of a maturation of processes that we've been using for years? I mean, this is this is where the the logical evolution of security strategy has to go, right? I mean, we've it's one of these things where unfortunately for 25 years, we've kind of seen like, oh, this is how you continually fail at this. And we've continued to kind of go expense in depth more. Uh, we'll try these other things. And, and it, you know, it's finally boiled away. All the BS has kind of finally boiled to the top and we've scraped the crap off. And now it's like, look, here's what you've got to do. And you take the position of what does the adversary need to proliferate compromise and cause these massive infections and remove it. Like, that's it. It's it's the default position of I'm not going to allow this to occur. And and I tell people all the time in workshops or whatever, you're going to get compromised. Like, it's just that simple. Just like if you if you go out and, and are, you know, running around, uh, I don't know, at the playground with your kids and you're licking all the equipment, you're going to get sick. However, you should survive because your antibodies and whatever else will catch up. This is not about never being hacked. This is about not being owned as far as the infrastructure goes. And that that's something that's removable. Like it's, if you look at all the proliferation of compromise, it's not that they got in, that's a given. It's that it continues to go forward. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I always think of it in the, you know, the castle moat, you know, kind of uh, analogy that people throw out, right. It's like, it's one thing to get in. It's another just to be able to kind of move about freely and do whatever you want laterally and whatnot. And I don't advise licking playgrounds. I have three kids and I go to those places quite often and, and I would not advise I would that. not do that. No. Um, I remember my daughter doing it when I was younger and I was like, ooh, that's gross. Yeah, you're like young. I'm like, no, no, don't do that. So I wanted to bring up a point that she mentioned. Like we saw executive order actually mentioned uh, uh, zero trust like 11 times. I, I did a quick search and counted it up and it seems like it's definitely gaining traction. Um, but many people also, I think, um, paint it as like a panacea. You know, like if, if we had zero trust, it would mitigate X, Y, Z and, you know, eliminate all these breaches, which, you know, may or may not be true. But, you know, what's your take on you know, the impact that it could have when done correctly versus, you know, some of the hype that I think is, is getting caught up in it as well. I mean, it's, it's so it's, it's a good thing, honestly, in the grand scheme that this is buzzwordy and that it's getting, you know, attention and people talk about it. that's good because that means we're all at least paying attention to something, which is, which is good. However, like this is not a technology thing. There's no button. There's no one deal you push and all of a sudden, you know, angels from heaven and bits from wherever, and you're zero trusty. Like this is a, strategy leadership execution problem and the problem that i have with the the notice from the biden administration whatever else is it's good thank you however who's going to run this train and it's one of those deals where you can have the cure for whatever but if no one's willing to stand up and say i will drag you kicking and screaming towards success it will die on the vine and we have decades of proof of this in this space you know so i'm I'm really glad that I saw it. It drives me nuts that I see people on Fox and CNN and MSNBC talking about it when they don't have a clue about it. However, I'm worried that it will wind up just dying on the vine yet again for the purposes of government bureaucracy and a lack of leadership. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair a fair um, risk that could occur. You know, I've worked in the government DOD space for many years now, and, and it's definitely very possible given all the silos and the posturing for control of different efforts and things like that. Um, one thing I wanted to hit on too is you mentioned like, you know, it's a process. I, I think of cybersecurity the same way. It's like, a, it's a journey, not a destination. But, you know, many people speak of zero trust as if like, like you said, like we just deploy this one tool and we're good. We're zero trust. You know, we're, we're good to go. You know, given you've been talking about this and working with many organizations now on zero trust, how do you help them understand that it is a journey? It is a process a maturity type um, uh, implementation. It's not just something you do overnight. Yeah, I mean, it start it starts with uh, I, I I mean, I'm working on a, a, a paper which may turn into a, a short book about it, but I mean, it really sort of runs around like if you look at your own physical health, right, and you say I want to I want to lower my I don't know cholesterol or my triglycerides or whatever, you can take the pills like you can do that, but it it requires you to change diet, to exercise, to do all those like there's no one thing, and it it's going to take time, especially. If you've built this architecture and processes and silos for 30, 40, 50 years, you don't just wake up and do this. So you can't get to where you're going if you don't know where you are. And then you need to have the processes built around it and understand this will be a a marathon. You know, I I think you mentioned something really important. It's something that I've been trying to focus on for a while in a lot of aspects of cybersecurity, but it's like, we don't know what we don't know. Let's start with the basics. Let's get a baseline. Let's figure out what we've got. What's our, what are, what is our asset inventory? Who are our people? What are their permissions? All of those things. So what is our data? What do we have? Um, So kind of figuring that out and then building a strategy around that. Cause I feel like sometimes that doesn't happen in that order. But so I was doing some research on zero trust when we knew that we were bringing you in for an interview. And a lot of what I saw was there's so many articles and there's research, but a lot of it talks about applying zero trust specifically to layer seven in the OSI model, which I kind of was like curious because I felt like, you know, maybe it could be applicable to other layers of the OSI model as well, This, as far as the general concepts. So do you feel like that's true? Or do you feel like there's some room to maybe apply this zero trust architecture uh, at other layers? No, I think it's applicable across the entirety of the model. I think it's applicable in different spaces uh, and in different verticals. And that's, that's the thing about a strategy that I, I find you have to continually remind people is strategy is just an, an overall sort of uh, acceptance of what you need to do. And for your organization and what you have, you manipulate that strategy to work for you, just like back to the health thing. And I use this because people kind of understand it. Uh, you know, there are different ways to be physically fit. Like for me, thanks to Uncle Sam, like I physically cannot run anymore. Thank you very much, U.S. Navy. However, comma, I find other ways to keep my cardio up and whatever, like I do the bike and swim and whatever, but I'm still physically fit, right? It works for me and I'm still achieving the goal of being physically fit because I want to live a long time and and ruin my kids' houses when they're older. But I mean, that's that's the proposition that's the proposition that you get from a real strategy is you make it work for you and it applies across the whole thing. But you selectively apply those things to do it for your particular need. Yeah, I, uh, I love the fitness analogies because I'm huge in the fitness myself. And so is Nikki. She's a runner. Um, and and unfortunately, you know, as Americans in particular, I think we have like this, you know, need to always want to have like a quick fix, you know, like oh, just take a pill and we're good to go. The we're we're in shape. But wait, and- there's more. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like with zero trust, this is something we touched on too, is like many people misperceive it as like, you know, just deploy this one endpoint product or whatever it is. And, you know, I'm good. I'm zero trust. And I feel like, you know, given the attention around zero trust and, and people realizing it is an effective security implementation that can help mitigate risk, 
um, you know, we're seeing vendors try to try to pounce on that, you know, and take advantage of of that, you know, with with uh, marketing to leadership or whoever to try to you know get their product into an organization. So, how do you feel about vendors using it as like a misleading a misleading approach? You know, trying to pitch a product as as you know solving all your ills and getting you zero trust compliant or you know meeting all your zero trust needs and and helping leaders understand it doesn't work like that. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I work at Aircom, and actually Monday we launch uh, ZeroTrustEdge.com, which is our specific offering for small and mid-sized enterprises for zero trust. And part of that whole thing when we were rolling that up was when we were doing all the marketing step and everything else around it. I was like, if I see anyone send something across my desk that says that this is the one stop for zero trust, like I'll come find you and I'll snap smash you until you stop breathing because this is wrong. SMBs can't live this way. We can't sell people a false bill of goods, but we do have a valid claim to say we have the capabilities that you could use to implement zero trust for your organization. Pick and choose what you need to apply this for yourself. And that that's where I think we've, you know, we need more of that sort of approach in the industry is like, look, I've got the stuff. If, if you want to go from, from here to, you know, uh, Florida and you want to do it in four hours, I've got the parts to build the airplane, but you had better know how to build the airplane, how to get to the place where you're going to go and how to fly the son of a bitch to where you're going to go. Like, I mean, that's that's the reality of it. Rather than here's an airplane and it's a big box of parts and they go, well, how am I, how am I supposed to fly this thing? On, on that note, um, you know, when we talk about zero trust and you talked about SMBs in particular, right? Uh, implementing some of these things may be difficult based on resources or funding or expertise internal to the organization. Uh, when you see organizations start to approach zero trust and, and mature throughout that you know journey, is there any any part in particular, whether it's technical or or you know programmatic, that seems to be you know very difficult or more of a heavy lift than any other area? I mean, in reality, what I run into most often is that small and mid sized businesses shouldn't be doing cybersecurity themselves. Like they should be they should be working with MSSPs and service providers. Like I. I did a workshop with somebody that was going to pay me. I, I did it for free. They were going to pay me for advisory for their company. And I was like, well, what do you do? Like, oh, we manufacture candy. I was like, why in all of creation are you a candy company trying to be a cybersecurity candy vendor? Like that's, like, that's not right. Go find an MSSP, go provide a service partner that does this and let them take the load off of you. And yeah, you can have your network admins and you might have a CISO and some security people that do stuff, but the operational, the heavy lift, the human capital side of it, don't do it. Find someone that that's their thing. You know, back again, to, I mean, I guess we're revolving around this, right? But back again to the physical side of it, if I want to get super healthy, I go talk to a dietitian and a physical trainer, right? People that this is their job. And then I do what they say. Uh, otherwise, my only option is to kind of sit around and read a bunch of blogs about people telling me how to not be fat. And then I wind up never getting better in the first place. Yeah, I love that approach. I think given the, especially nowadays, given like the prevalence of MSSPs, you know, cybersecurity service providers, cloud service offerings, there's a lot of options for for companies to essentially like focus on their core competencies and lean into those, you know, providers for what they do best. Um, and that said, of course, you know, watch out for those zero trust candy peddlers, you know, that may be amongst them. I mean, that would be interesting. Maybe somebody makes, I don't know, I, I like uh, Swedish fish, so maybe zero trust Swedish fish. <laughs> Man, that's a that's a million dollar idea right yeah, there. I like right? that. Well, I was going to bring up too because you were talking about um, how you would go someplace to find this information, right? Because we all need to have good resources and and potentially good companies or or backups to help us find this information. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you actually have a newsletter that you curate every week, right? Yeah, every Sunday it comes out Tuesday morning. 
Great. So uh, on uh, zero trust. And so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, the the crux of it is uh, I was just kind of sick of trying to find, you know, like you said, curated content around zero trust that wasn't vendor ads and wasn't just the general, uh, like you're saying, Chris, you know, we, we do ZT. So I spend my Sundays and sometimes Monday mornings looking through the internet and looking for like academic papers and research and YouTube videos and anything that I think applies in the context of actual ZT. And it's all into a web uh, thing. All you got to do is enroll, sign up, and, and it's sent to you every Tuesday afternoon. Uh, and that, that continues to just keep going. So and it's um, the whole thing is like it will not introduce vendor schlep into it. Yeah, I'm actually subscribed to it. I have been for several weeks now. And the biggest issue I have is like the time to you know actually read all the great resources that are included in it. So I definitely recommend it. I think one other thing I wanted to en- uh, ask about is if I'm not mistaken, you're doing like some demos of of you work with vendors, right. To come and do like live demos and discussions. You know, I want to use a phrase like calm to the carpet, but let, let people show, you know, how are we doing this? And, and, you know, what is the truth between behind what we're saying, you know, and b- behind the hype in some cases, how has that been going? And have you seen like some vendors be reluctant to show up and do that? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's one of those deals where, uh, I, I love, I like, I love research, but the whole thing was basically, can you get past the kind of theory and concept and just talking about it? And for me, it was like, well, if you got ZT stuff, like show me. And a lot of them have said, here's a login, here's a thing, go off and record it. I, and I've had I've had organizations that said, oh, well, we're, you know, what do you charge for this? I'm like, it's free because if I charge you, then you can sort of influence me with, you know, if you paid me more than somebody else, maybe I'd say that your stuff was really awesome. So I don't take any money for it. It's all just free. and It's on my own time. But the whole thing is 10, 20 minutes tops. I'm just going to run through a use case and use their stuff and say, this is how I would use this for this problem. And that's kind of it. And it's just to really uh, gravitate people around like you can do these things. And it's not that there's one product because I've done network stuff, application, user, da, 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 all of it. Yeah, that goes back to what Nikki brought up, right, in terms of the OSI model. And um, you started off talking about trusting your employees is, is something you brought up. I mean, this is something that impacts all aspects of the organization. So it's cool to hear, you know, vendors are coming with different, you know, use cases around various aspects of your operations. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's putting the, it's not putting their feet to the fire, but it's just basically saying like, if you've got it, I call it put up or shut up. Like if you've got it, let's do it. Yeah. I think, I I think that's super important because you, you are a doctor as well. And I think that's one of the things where when we blend kind of that academic research and some of the other things we're doing with practical knowledge and practical expertise, because we talk about practical significance when you're doing research and it's the same thing with tooling or, uh, you know, when you're a vendor or anything like that, that you have to have that practical significance. It needs to mean something. So I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about that just as far as the research goes. Where do you think kind of the research is going with Zero Trust? Do you see any kind of shifts in the last couple of years, especially as it's gained popularity? Yeah, I think that there's uh, – so there's a lot of folks that are wrapped up around like, well, Sassy and ZT. You hear that from Gartner and then there's the Forrester, Zero Trust stuff, whatever, ZTNA. Those two are not necessarily mutually exclusive. So let me just clarify that, right? Sassy is is a thing that can be part of a zero trust strategy, right? ZTNA is a thing that can be part of a zero trust strategy. Um, honestly, it makes me giggle every time I think of a CISO walking into a leadership thing and saying, I'm super sassy right now because I would just be like, what? <laughs> every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, honey, boo-boo's in cyber, like, cool. But I mean, w- w- what we're what we're getting at is that the research here is is um, there's there's big strategy, and then there's capabilities that fit into it, and then there's these kind of tangential things that are part of it overall. And I think it's good because it helps us understand there's a big broad marketplace, and there's lots of ways to solve this problem. 
but also you have to continually boil off the things that are just, you know, thrown in the mix for the sake of throwing in the mix. Yeah, I was going to jump in real quick with one last question from my perspective. You mentioned the DBIR that got published, right? And we saw the overwhelming you know, number of uh, attacks involving humans, and which is a, a trend that's been consistent, as you mentioned. Uh, but it seems like you know the the focus in terms of research and and, and focus on like human factors in cybersecurity still seem, seems to be like a minority of where our attention goes. So it's all around technical tooling and things like that. And this is both to you and Nikki. Um, do you think that you know we'll ever see a more of an emphasis on the human factor or research into that, or organizations looking at the human factor more, given that it's so prevalent in, in all these attacks and breaches? I mean, it's it's from my perspective. Nikki's obviously more of an expert on this than I am, but from my perspective, it's one of those things where um, people are some for some reason people are afraid to actually stand up and look at folks and go like, "I'm sorry, there are people that kind of suck, and there's a reason that they aren't good at this." And and we've tried to be nice and we've tried to train our way out of it and whatever else, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, ultimately in, in any other room, in any other realm, if you have some, if you have a, a group of people that you know are the, are the problem, right? You give them a chance, you do what you can, you try and make them better. But when they continue to be the problem, you get rid of them, right? I mean, they, it's like, look, I, I, we're, you know, find the door because I can't keep you here. If you're in sales, if you're in marketing, if you're whatever, if you can't subscribe to the standards that are set, Sooner or later, you know, the, the reaper comes for you. In cyber, it's because we kind of are afraid to go like, look, you're, I'm sorry, but you click phishing links every freaking time we train you. You're a threat to my business. Like, get out. But people are hesitant to do that. And I think, I mean, I, my guess would be Nikki would say it's probably not wrong to say that there are some people that just kind of are problem children. Yeah. And it's, it's this interesting thing, right? I think you, you hit it on the head as far as like, where do we take accountability? Where do we place that? And and how far do we take it? Because then it becomes an HR issue. Then it becomes an administrative issue because it's when we talk about security, it really isn't just security. We're talking about the business. And so that affects every aspect of the business. It is one of those things that, I mean, there are certainly those of us out there, of course, I'm a little biased, but we're out there trying to solve these problems so that hopefully at the end of the day, we don't fire these people. <laughs> we, we want to try to help change habits and behaviors. But yes, at some point there has to be accountability because your business you are putting your business at risk whether there's the human factor or it's a technical uh, factor. So it is accountability, but we have to figure out how we're going to handle that and I think HR and um the the C-suite have to be involved in those decisions too. Yeah, I mean I, um, a, a strong like it it requires uh I th- I think that's what I find most of the time doing all these workshops is like the leadership component here can't be overstated. For sure. And I, and that's why I think we, we've, we've touched on this in a few episodes before too, where you, you really have to have executive and management buy-in. They have to be part of the process and, and really helping you uh, not only when you make a decision, but helping to support that decision and make sure that it's an enforced. Because um, if you have a security policy, if you have a zero trust policy and nobody's enforcing it, then it's not going to get done. Might as well write it on toilet paper. Yep. <laughs> Well, so that's going to kind of take us to our last question. You know, we are the Resilient Cyber Podcast. We have to ask you about resiliency. Um, So specifically with your background and kind of the research and work that you're doing now, uh, what does cyber resilience mean to you, first of all? And then um, does implementing zero trust make an organization or a system uh, more resilient? So number one, great name for the podcast and everything. You guys nailed it with that one. But on the on the resiliency side for me, what it means is being able to come back from failure, right? I mean, bad things happen. People get owned. Like it's just, it is what it is. Ransomware, all those types of things. So, I mean, it's really 
you know, in my opinion, resilience is being able to survive the the onslaught um, and doing stuff on the far end of that. And I think where ZT fits into that is accepting that reality, right? You're probably going to have a compromise. You're probably going to have a breach. The reality of resiliency in this context is I want to be able to survive. I'm okay with a tree burning in the forest. I'm not okay with the entire forest on fire. Yeah, I love that. That concept is like there are going to be incidents. There are going to be circumstances that happen. It's just mitigating the impact and being able to push through that and, and sustain, you know, activities, operations, et cetera. Uh, so with that said, that was a, that was the end of the show. Thank you for joining us. And I hope uh, folks learn a lot about Zero Trust and the, the concept that it's a journey, as well as some of the hype around the vendor uh, vendor space. So Chase, thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Resilient Cyber Podcast, hosted by Chris Hughes and Dr. Nikki Robinson. Check out new episodes and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other place you may listen to podcasts. You'll also find us on our website at resilientcyber.io and the Resilient Cyber Podcast on LinkedIn. See you next week. And remember, stay resilient.